There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast and audio-guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved, and long-forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is about Charlotte Flanagan, a trainee nurse and part-time barmaid who was always there for those who needed her most. But when someone she trusted needed her to be more than just a friend, their close bond ended in murder. Murder Mile is researched using authentic sources. It contains moments of satire, shock, and grisly details. And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 156, The Old Acquaintance of Charlotte Flanagan. Today, I'm standing on Duke Street in Mayfair W1. One street south of the stalker Joseph King. One street north of the assassination of Alexander Litvinenko. 20 feet southeast of the terrorist attack of flight LL-016 and a few doors from the unfortunate Evelyn Hatton. Coming soon to Murder Mile. On the corner of George Yard at 82 Duke Street once sat the Barley Mow Public House. A five-story corner building built of brown brick and Portland stone with black, wrought-iron detailing. With an open-plan pub on the ground floor, a kitchen and dining on the first, with an office in a small flat above, given how pretentious Mayfair can be, the Barley Mow was actually a proper pub where you could enjoy a good pint, a hearty meal, and some friendly banter. Admittedly, when the rugby was on, It was chock full of London's unhealthiest, stretching their sweaty sports tops to the max, glugging back 50 pints, all while wheezing about how, having watched six slow-motion replays on Sky Sports, 
that these so-called professional sportsmen are lazy, useless, idiots, and other such insights by red-faced pundits whose only body parts they've exercised since Thatcher's era was their gobs and their asses. Sadly, like every other pub, it's being turned into posh flats. The scaffolding is up, the tarp covers the crime, and a sales sign is there to lure any overpaid MP looking for a third home to house his mistress. Back on the New Year's Eve of 2001, a private party was in full swing here at the Barley Moat. Behind the bar, 22-year-old Charlotte Flanagan was serving drinks. As midnight passed and Old Lang Syne was sung, it should have been a moment of hope. And although this infamous but often misunderstood song asks that old acquaintances should never be forgotten, maybe the man who had come to visit Charlotte was a friend who should have been left in the past. As it was here, on the New Year's Day of 2002, that the kindness of Charlotte Flanagan became the cruelest excuse for her tragic death. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never to mind Should old acquaintance be forgot and all anxiety Traditionally sung to welcome in the new year Old Lang Syne began life as an old folk song collected and scribed by the poet Robert Burns in 1788 having heard the words spoken by an old man on his travels. It tells the story of two friends, catching up over a drink and their memories of times long gone. Few of us understand it, but often these are the first words that many of us utter as the clock strikes twelve. They were also some of the last words uttered by Charlotte Flanagan. Twenty-two-year-old Charlotte Flanagan was born in 1979 in Darwin, a market town in Lancashire just south of Blackburn. Described as bubbly, big-hearted and full of life. It was no surprise that Charlotte would enter the caring profession. Raised in a pleasant family home, although Darwin was a former industrial town built on cotton mills and heavy industry, Melville Gardens was a quiet spot which overlooked miles of heathered moorland and peaceful walks. With her mum, also being the local practice nurse, there was little doubt that this warm and nurturing environment was a big reason 
why Charlotte became such a decent person. Which is not to say that, during her life, she hadn't been plagued by moments of anxiety or depression, as it only made her more understanding of those who were also suffering. Having left school with a good education, Charlotte worked at the Trinity Partnership in Clitheroe as a mentor for young children. In 1999, age 20, Charlotte began working for Blackburn and Darwin Council in their social services department, but always with an eye on becoming a nurse. Life wasn't particularly hard for Charlotte. As she was raised well, she had a kind soul, and although most essential jobs are never properly paid, being a hard worker with an astute head on her shoulders, she got a mortgage on a nice two-story sandstone terrace house in Wormsley Street, near to her workplace, her friends and her family. That year, working in the same department, Charlotte met a social worker called Gary, and the two became friends. It was an unlikely relationship, but beneficial for both. As needing help to pay her mortgage, Gary became Charlotte's lodger. And being a little shy, she helped to bring him out of his shell. Being a whopping six foot eight inches tall and weighing a hefty 20 stone, looking a bit like a dark-haired honey monster, Gareth Richard Horton always eclipsed Charlotte wherever they went. And like chalk and cheese, the two always stood out. But sometimes, even the simplest of friendships can be doomed from the start. In his own words, 29-year-old Gary Horton described himself as a rather miserable personality. Being a loner, he often suffered with feelings of rejection, self-doubt and anxiety around others. Spending much of his time by himself, he had very few friends, he had never had a girlfriend, and he was incredibly close to his mum, Eileen, calling her daily as she was the one person who he truly trusted. Since his childhood, and especially through puberty, Gary had gone from being a sweet little boy to a silent shell of his former self. His mental health had sharply declined, but it was nothing sinister, as he was too shy to be in any trouble, too meek to be violent, and the only person he hated was himself. His depression had stemmed from his school days, when this mini-man mountain in the making was mercilessly bullied owing to his size, by the kind of dickheads too thick to see the real hurt that they were inflicting. Riddled with low self-esteem, 
he underachieved academically. He struggled to form close bonds, and he found it difficult to express his feelings with others. Later diagnosed with clinical depression. Across his life, this silent, sensitive Hulk required psychiatric help. But he wasn't a danger to anyone but himself. Being Charlotte's friend was the best thing that ever happened to Gary. Whereas he was quiet and insular, she was funny and bubbly. And although this match could have made for an unhealthy mix, which only made him worse, she hoped that making him part of her world would help him refine his confidence. But when he had been drinking, Gary's feelings of self-loathing got the worst of him. In June 2001, after a night out in Darwin's Market Square, feeling a little tipsy after several drinks, Charlotte and Gary were making their way home by foot. What they had spoken about that night remains between them. Maybe she had spoken about her ex-boyfriends. Maybe he had spoken about having never had a girlfriend. Or maybe he had told her exactly how he felt. But whatever it was, maybe this boozy heart-to-heart had ignited something dark inside Gary's mind. It was shortly after chucking out time when Charlotte and Gary stumbled up Atlas Road. Home was only a quick totter away, so they had no need to hail a taxi or a bus. But as they passed Darwin Station, Gary ran up the concrete stairs, and from the platform's edge, he hurled himself onto the train tracks. Chasing after Gary, Charlotte pleaded with him to stop fooling about, but he refused to move. Instead, he just lay there, crying, with his head and body sprawled across the hard metal lines, as he awaited the swift slash of a passing train, which would sever his body into bits with a fast, clean slice. Gary, stop being a dick, Charlotte barked. This isn't funny anymore. But still, he refused to budge. As the tracks rumbled, in the distance, she could hear the Rochdale train approaching, speeding like the Grim Reaper clutching a lamp as its burning light drew ever nearer. But still, Gary remained motionless. Knowing they had just seconds to spare before her pal was pulverized, Charlotte grabbed his oversized hand and tried to pull him off the tracks. But being over two meters tall and weighing 280 pounds, even with help, she would have struggled to shift him. But right there and then, Charlotte was alone. Only as the train sped ever nearer, having grabbed hold of his hand to save his life. Now, 
he wouldn't let go of hers. His grip was tight, her hand was held, and the only thing she could do to save both of them from a certain death was to make him see sense. We can never be certain if Gary really wanted to die that night. But some had said he did it because he loved her. Around that time, barely six months before her murder, Gary had sought out psychiatric help for his anxiety and depression. Again, he was not considered a threat to anyone but himself. And although Charlotte was a truly caring person who knew how to listen and to get the best out of those who needed her help, living and working with Gary had proven to be impossible. The terraced house on Warmly Street was hers, but now her little home felt like the kind of place where she didn't feel happy or comfortable. Spending more time at her parents in Melville Gardens, her brother Luke once asked her why she wasn't at home. Charlotte's reply was simple. He's there. She could have found anyone to become her lodger. But more out of kindness than need, she had welcomed him into her life, her home and her world. But now, he was acting as if they were husband and wife. Whenever they went out, he always insisted on paying for the drinks. He squandered most of his life savings. He even considered buying a car for both of them, even though he didn't have a driving license. He once bragged to a mutual friend, We've got engaged! Only to claim that it was a lame joke but becoming possessive of who Charlotte saw and where she went. Having booked a week's holiday in Ibiza with a few girl pals, Gary pestered her with calls, pleading with her not to go. In September 2001, Charlotte moved to West London. It was the break she needed, being her first time away from her hometown of Darwin, seeking a fresh start, with a promising new career, training to be a nurse. To save money, she worked as a barmaid at the Barley Mow pub in Mayfair, and had begun seeing the stepson of one of the pub's regulars, a teacher from Nottingham called David Ivmy. Life was going well for Charlotte, but mentally, Gary was struggling. Without his only friend, he had regressed back to his miserable old self, sitting in isolation and brooding over the failings of his life. Seeing his decline and worried about her pal's mental health, spending Christmas by himself, 
Charlotte invited Gary down to London from Christmas Eve to New Year's Day. Only having already planned to take his own life, he regarded this trip less with festive cheer and more as a farewell to a cruel world. On Christmas Eve 2001, Gary travelled three hours from Darwin to London, staying for one week in a single room at the County Hotel, situated near Euston Station. On Christmas Day, Charlotte worked and she saw Gary whenever she was free. When she wasn't, he kept himself amused by watching the festive fair on the BBC. With such delights as the original Mary Poppins featuring Dick Van Dyke's godawful Cockney accent, the TV premiere of Sliding Doors, and after the Queen's speech was Rolf's Merry Christmas, starring convicted sex offender Rolf Harris. On Boxing Day, she met Gary, and then she went out on a date with David at TGI Fridays in Leicester Square. And on Thursday the 27th of December, at King's Cross Station, Charlotte and David shared a kiss as he caught a train back home. She had planned to come up and to stay with him in Nottingham on New Year's Day. And although their kiss was only meant to be a see-you-soon smooch, for both, it was actually a last goodbye. The New Year's Eve of 2001 began like any ordinary day for most. It drizzled, the sky was gloomy, the fireworks would be a washout as always, and the West End shops were full of idiots believing they were buying bargains, when in fact they were paying over the odds for old tat that the shop couldn't shift. To get a few days off, Charlotte had worked Friday the 28th, Saturday the 29th and Sunday the 30th of December. And with David away, this gave her more time to spend with Gary. As far as we know, they hadn't argued. Gary didn't seem unusually depressed, and he hadn't told her his thoughts of killing himself. At 4pm, having finished her afternoon shift at the pub, Charlotte and Gary went out for a meal, during which she told Gary about her boyfriend. What he said is unknown, but he gave no emotional reaction. There was no anger, no cross words and no tears. But neither were there any congratulations, best wishes or kisses. He would later describe his mood that night as being his normal, rather miserable, rather self. miserable self. At 6pm, Gary phoned his mum Eileen to say that he was having a good time. At 8pm, they returned to the Barley Mow where a private party was taking place. 
to ring in the new year, everyone had dressed up in costumes, with the theme of the party being vicars at darts. Not being one to let the side down, Charlotte dressed as a sexy French maid, wearing a short black dress with white frills and black stockings. And although even the simplest of Vickers' costumes would be nothing more than a suit with a cardboard dog collar, Gary didn't dress up as he wasn't in the mood. At 9.30pm, Gary called his mum and again he sounded in good spirits. At 11.30pm, Gary texted a friend stating that he was at the party, that he was enjoying himself and that he was dressed in a skirt and he had shaved his legs. Why he lied about this, we don't know. And at the stroke of midnight, Big Ben rang and fireworks erupted as across the small bar room of the Barley Mo pub, 50 or so merry regulars reverberated the room with that most famous of songs. And although she had done so much to help her friend when he needed her most, maybe Gary Horton was an old acquaintance who should have been forgotten, simply to save her life. A few minutes after the rousing reverie of Old Lang Syne had quietened, and the partygoers had sunk back a few more slugs of cheap champagne. Gary and Charlotte were seen at a table by the bar, having what many described as a few minor words. At 12.15am, feeling a little drained after a long day with a tiring friend, she told the two barmen that she was taking a break and she headed up to her bedroom on the top floor of the pub, leaving Gary in the bar. That is where he stayed, by himself, saying nothing and nursing a drink. At 1am, as Charlotte had failed to return from her break, Gary said that he would go and check if she was okay. The barman said they didn't need her, as the party was dying down. But still, Gary seemed concerned. From the bar, he ascended the stairs to the first floor, and although the bedroom was still three floors higher, whether by chance encounter or deliberate choice, he made a brief stop at the empty kitchen. In court, the prosecution described this action as a significant degree of planning or premeditation. But the defense would argue that owing to a mental disorder, in that very moment, Gary had flipped. Opening a staff-only door, he climbed the stairs to the upper floors until he got to Charlotte's room. At 
and there she lay, curled up peacefully on top of the bed, her head on a pillow. Still wearing her French maid's outfit, as if she had only planned to shut her eyes for a moment, but had drifted off to sleep. With her eyes shut, breathing soft, and her mind miles away in the land of dreams, she had no idea what was about to happen, no way to defend herself, and no idea that her friend wished her dead. Clutching a ten-inch knife stolen from the kitchen, with a fast single blow, Gary stabbed the blade with such force that it penetrated through the full width of her neck. With her jugular vein severed, her windpipe slit, and being partially paralyzed, she awoke and saw, but she could not move. And as almost every pint of her blood spewed from the gaping wound in her neck, within a minute, Charlotte was dead. Why he did it, we don't know. Maybe it was love, maybe it was jealousy, maybe it happened in the moment of madness, or maybe the thought of losing his only real friend was too much pain to bear. And yet the pathologist would state he had intentionally cut part of her costume, leaving her genitals partially exposed. But he said there was no obvious sexual motive, and she had not been sexually interfered with. At 1.30am, Gary calmly left the pub, saying he needed some fresh air. Two hours later, from a public phone box by Embankment Station, he rang his mother and confessed, Mum, I've killed Charlotte. With nothing left to live for, this man mountain tried to drown himself by wading into the icy muddy silt of the River Thames. But failing miserably, at 4am he called his mum and she phoned the police. Examined by a police doctor at Walworth Police Station, Gary was described as orientated, but not confused. In the presence of a solicitor and a social worker, he refused to answer any questions about the murder, but he gave a statement about his mental health. Interviewed for a second time, at 1.12am on the 2nd of January 2002, Gary Horden was charged with murder at Bow Street Magistrates Court. Tried at the Old Bailey between the 1st and the 11th of October 2002, he pleaded guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility, but he denied murder. The prosecution stated his actions showed that he had an obsession with Charlotte that was both sexual and emotional. The thought of Charlotte going out with another man was too much for him. And although both sides agreed, he had a genetic predisposition to depression, exacerbated by low self-esteem, probably caused by years of bullying at school 
over his height and his weight. Gary denied that he was motivated by jealousy. After deliberation, the jury returned a verdict of guilty of murder by an 11 to 1 majority. Judge Brian Barker stated, This was a horrendous crime, which has resulted in the senseless waste of a woman who had everything to look forward to. You took the life of the most important person in the world to you, a person who you thought might be moving on. Gary Horton was sentenced to life in prison, with a minimum of 12 years to be served, after which he can only be released if the parole board feels he no longer poses a danger. And even then, he will remain on license for the rest of his life. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. As always, for those of you who take great pleasure in hearing a bloated baldy stuff a lethal number of cakes into his face while he waffles on about rain, wind, Eva and coots, stay tuned till after the break for a non-compulsory bit of fun with a little quiz and some extra details in Extra Mile. A big thank you to my new Patreon supporters who are Kay Reed and Cheryl Lyon. A big thank you to you both. I thank you for supporting the show. And a thank you to everyone who continues to listen to the show and leaves kind reviews of Murder Mile. Murder Mile was research written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, that's okay. Hat back on. Because it's bloody cold this morning. Hat back on. Oh, hello everyone.
welcome to Extra Mile. How are we all? Just moving my uh, sound protecting device, my anti-coot device. Have to have it up because there's noisy little bastards out when they're awake. They're like, ah, 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 ah. Could be bad. I could be near the annoying duck up the, up the canal. Who's a little bastard? He never shuts up. Oh, anyway, hey everyone, welcome to Extra Mile. Uh, as always, this is the non-compulsory bit. If you're new to this, this is just a bit of extra fun. You've listened to the podcast, you're welcome to switch off now. Um, this is just the extra bit. What I do is I, we do a bit of a quiz. I fill you in on some details. I'm going to go and make a cup of tea in a bit. Well, as we all know, this point of the day, it's a bit of coffee. I'm just going to open some windows because it's a bit... It's uh, Well, I was going to say it's a bit warm. It's not warm, it's cold. But... Uh, it's a bit uh, condensation in the knee, 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 knee. There we go. Because uh, it was one of those nights last night where I, j- I just thought to myself, it's not really hugely cold enough to, to pop on a fire. I would, Joe, when you go along the canal, you see, like, even in summer, you see people with the fires on. And I just think, why? Why are you doing that? Why have you got the fires on? Joe, it's a bit of a waste. I'm, I think... I always believe that you should kind of make the most of it. Like, you know, if you're if you're going outside, you know, don't wear your coat inside. I'm one of those people. I'm like, right, wait till you get outside and you'll feel the benefit of it. And fires, I think, should be a bit of a treat. Whereas, unfortunately, there's some people who just use their fires on all the time and you just think, ah, you're not really making the most of it. So, last night wasn't particularly cold, uh, so I didn't bother. I just made a nice hot water bottle. Oh, yeah. It's like being back with my grandparents. They would always do that. Grand would always make us a nice uh, hot water bottle. And uh, she would always tuck us up into bed. Uh, oh no, she, uh, well she'd make the bed, but she'd always make it with lots and lots because the, the way to do it properly is not to have a r- one big thick sheet, it's to have lots of little sheets as it traps the air. So all of her beds were like that, and you, you'd it'd take five minutes to get into bed because she had so many layers. You'd be there, like, going, right, peel off that layer, peel off that layer. And it was really comfortable, but it just took ages to get in. Ah, oh, dear. Well, that was pointless. Right, what's going on? Cake update. I'm about to have a cherry bakewell up at the bakery up the road. Love going to the little bakery up the road because I walk in, I go, I point to all the cakes that I want, and then they always pause because they know full well um, I'm going to ask for more cakes. So they've kind of got used to me now. Uh, we got strong winds across the country. Uh, lots of uh, wind and rain. Luckily, it's not too windy, not too rainy this morning. Some battening down the hatches. Hope you're all well, wherever you are in the world. It's uh, We're being hit by some weird weather, but then again, it is winter, isn't it? Uh, which does give us some nice sunsets and sunrises. I've got lucky the last couple of days. I've popped my head out just as we've had really fantastic sunrises and sunsets um they're on my social media account so you can have a look at those uh nice it's really weird it's like beautiful beautiful big burning red deep red sunsets and skies and really lovely and i take the picture and you think oh yeah i'll take another picture in a second and then you look back and then it's gone it's all gray and horrible so literally i've got i've got really lucky the last couple of nights and mornings Ah, what else is going on? Uh, thank you to everyone who left all the nice reviews on uh, Murder Mile. That's really helpful. If you haven't written one, please do write one. They, they really do help all the little podcasts. I was trying to work out. I, I, had, I had an influx of really negative, really nasty kind of people in there. And I, I think I worked out what it is. I did a bit of a promo swap with, with uh, a program which is not true crime. It's more his, historical 
And I think it was just the wrong audience. I don't think they were really suited. So kind of leading them towards Murder Mile, I think you know, I think that's where they came from. So I think they probably listened to it. I mean, what's this? This is not the kind of boring standard programme that we listen to. So, uh, yeah, so I think that backfired. It, to be honest, it wasn't my idea. It was ACAST's idea. Blame them. They were the ones who got in touch and said, let's do this. And it was a pain to do the, the uh, promo for them as well. Uh, anyway, lesson learned, lesson learned. What else happened last weekend? Uh, did a lovely meet-up with some podcasters. Wasn't one organised. I was kind of invited in as an interloper. So it's podcasters and kind of film appreciation uh, aficionados. So that was really lovely. So thank you so much to uh, Dom from the Soho Bites podcast, who I've mentioned many times before. Dom invited me along to that. I got to meet all these lovely people. Finally got to meet Adam from Secret History of Hollywood podcast and uh, Attaboy Clarence, who I've been listening to for absolute years, even before uh, I met, uh, even before I started doing podcasting, I was a little bit starstruck. Should, it shouldn't be, because we're all podcasters, but I'm a little starstruck, and I, I couldn't, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really have anything to say to him. I was like, oh, I like your podcast. <laughs> like an idiot. So, uh, yeah, it's funny. Good fun though, we had a really good night. Just putting my water in. Oh, I've overspilt. Gonna grab a cake. Gonna grab a cake. La la la, grab a cake. La la la. Best part of the day, I've got two, um, two cherry bakewells uh, right there uh, with the uh, cherry, uh, glass of cherries on top. So it looks like two, it looks like some boobies. Uh, so that was really good. So we yep, met Adam, uh, also Tracy and Steve, who are the contributors to the Talking Pictures TV podcast, which is lovely, great podcast. Um, loads of people there. Unfortunately, I can't remember everyone's name. So there were also the House of Hammer podcast, uh, Second Features podcast, Wild West podcast, uh, many lovely people who are massive, huge film nerds and uh, film appreciation people, which was great. I was slightly worried because they're all kind of they're all very into like all, all their all their cult films and things like that. And I was like, oh, my knowledge of film is good, but it might, it might not be too. It might not be that good. Uh, but luckily, everyone wasn't too nerdy. Everyone was just there to have a good time. So we we got very boozy, boozy, and we had a great time. Um, you will hear some of that if you go to the Soho Bites podcast by uh, the wonderful Dom DeLaghi. Uh, Dom was recording everyone's kind of thoughts about Muppets Christmas Carol. Uh, and I'm on that, talking about my old friend Michael Caine. Yes, my good friend Michael. Have I mentioned my good friend Michael Caine? Probably not. <laughs> right. Um, uh, just a reminder, Murder Mile Walks, the walking tour of Soho that I do every Sunday at 11 a.m., uh, that finishes this weekend, i.e. last weekend. Uh, so I've done my final walk already by the time you hear this. Uh, but that will be... The Murder Mile walks will be returning in a new form, new kind of walk, spring and summer of tw- uh, 2022. So next year. That makes it sound complicated. Um, the last episode of the Murder Mile UK True Crime podcast, which is this, goes out on the 30th of December at uh, uh, 2021 uh, so that's uh, just before New Year's Eve and as I do every year I take a couple of weeks off to finish the research for the next season so the next season of Murder Mile starts on the 24th of February uh, 2022 so 
Hope that makes sense. Uh, Murder Mile Walks, basically the walking tour is finishing in its current form, but it's coming back next spring. The podcast isn't ending. I have to reiterate this because some people thought it was finishing. It's not. Uh, what happens is uh, the season finishes, unlike some people who do like shitty seasons, like Wondery. Wondery do like six episodes and they're done. Fuck that. Murder Mile, as you know, starts in February and it goes right through to December and it's it's out every single week. But then again, I need I need a little bit of time. Do you know, I, I don't take a week off. I just keep powering through and I do all the episodes. I give you kind of intermediate episodes to help me catch up with the episodes. Uh, but yeah, so the last episode, 30th of December, and then we restart again on the 24th of February. There you go. So Murder Mile, the podcast isn't ending and the, the walking tours are just slightly changing. Uh, Murder Mile, the book. Uh, Murder Mile, the book. Uh, I'm aiming to get this ready by summer. Uh, it will be coming out in uh, hardback form, e-form, and then probably later in the year, because it'll take me a lot of time to do it, I'll, I'll probably try and do an, uh, an audio version as well. Uh, so that'll be good so that'll be out kind of summer uh, really enjoying uh, researching working on this at the moment it's covering a lot of uh, murders mostly based around Old Compton Street which we've heard about before um, ooh winds are really picking up um, but the great thing is it's diving me down some little rabbit holes so I'm finding some interesting kind of stories that we've never covered before co- stories that we may have covered before on Murder Mile but there's a new spin on them and I've unearthed some new details but it's also uh, helped me find some new exciting stories that I'd never heard about before which I'd started researching for the book uh, and then thought to myself oh actually no this would be better for the podcast so uh so that's interesting. Some cases that I've never made it to the podcast because there's not enough information I've made it into the book. And now some cases uh, that I thought would only be for the book, a book actually I found the original police files and things like that. And I've gone, no, actually, this would be better for the podcast. So it's been really beneficial. And hopefully if if this if people like this book, um, it's the kind of book that I can do a series of them. I can just like try and do one a year. Uh, it's taking a little while at the moment because I, I, you know, I'm not used to writing uh, this kind of a book. But uh, yeah, it's going well. Right, let's do some questions. Oh, I'm looking at that cake and it looks lovely. Um, let's do some questions and then we'll dive into some extra details about this case. So, uh, uh, question number one: uh, What was Gary's height? You can say that in uh, feet and inches or meters. Question two, what weight was Gary? You can say that in stones or pounds. I don't have that in kilos. Hang on, that would be, I can work it out in kilos. Um, Question number three, what was Gary's full name? Mm, You only get points if you get his middle name. Question four, where did did Scottish poet... Robbie Burns, uh, get most of the words for Old Lang Syne from. I've added the word from at the end. I didn't need that. Uh, question five. What costume did Gary wear to the fancy dress party? Question six. Uh, what hotel did Gary stay at during his London stay? Two uses of the word stay there. Didn't need that. Uh, question seven. Which convicted sex offender was on the telly on the BBC on Christmas Day? 
again, three uses of the word on, really bad, re- badly written questions. I, I ran out of time last night, so I was, I was trying to get all the questions done. Uh, question eight. Uh, what did Charlotte's mum do as a job? That was a, an OK written question. Question nine. Uh, what was the name of the street Charlotte lived on with Gary? And question 10, where was the train heading which almost ran over Gary on the train tracks? That's a difficult one. That's why I like doing these kind of stories, because sometimes there's not enough information, which means I've got to do a lot of the research myself. I know some people, they just pull out news articles and they just rehash it, or some podcasts just read it. Um, What I love to do, I love these episodes, this one... I've, I knew about this case ages ago and literally all I had was like a uh, not even a paragraph just a couple of words of where it was her name the rough date and the and the pub and that was it and I was like oh. and it, unfortunately it was one of these cases that really wasn't covered well in the press but I managed to get a lot of uh, um, uh, mental health documentation which really helped so that's where I get most of the information from but I, what this is why I love these cases is because you kind of you dive into it uh, and you go uh, right I don't know these details right let's start searching so do you know I, 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 I walk their route using google maps and I kind of just have a good look around and it helps me get an idea of the place uh, so we'll dive into some extra stuff oh just to say when Murder Mile is off in January and part of February um Technically, it's uh, if if you subscribe to Patreon, what I do is uh, I do I do a series every week called Walk with Me, and basically, when you've listened to the episode and you've listened to Extra Mile, when I've edited it, I do an episode uh, where I talk to you about that episode. I fill you in on all the details that I couldn't fill you in, and all the and, and I tell you how the the episode was made, and give you all these interesting facts that hopefully they're interesting that people like. Um, January and February, when the podcast is not, I do a thing called Walk With Me Research, and that that's kind of me going through all the research for the year ahead, and I fill you in on all the cases that we're going to be covering. Uh, it's it's uh, People seem to like it, so I've kept it going. And uh, in January, February, it's available to everyone. It doesn't matter what tier you're on, it's available to everyone. Right, let's dive into some details. Quick slurp of coffee. Mm. Oh, yum. Uh, so... Um, as mentioned, this was a private party on the ground floor in the bar of the public house of uh, the Barley Mo. Um, everyone, oh, almost gave away a question then. Um, we don't really know what was said between them and what the argument was about. All everyone seems to say is that they had minor words, but no one, no one said that there were any, there were raised voices. No one said that there was a physical fight. No one said that it wasn't a massive domestic. People could just see that there was something bubbling. Something was going on, but obviously Charlotte wasn't wasn't an aggressive person. And Gary's, uh, as everyone said, is a gentle giant. So you wouldn't really expect them to be uh, kind of massively arguing. Is that even a word? Who cares? Um, the question over this was about premeditation in the case. Um Gary said at the start that he was uh, his depression was really kicking in, getting him really down and that he was planning to come to London as kind of a farewell. He was going to see his friend, he was going to say goodbye to her and then he was going to kill himself. How he was going to kill himself, we don't know. Uh, there didn't seem to be any premeditation in that idea. So whether he was going to try and drown himself in the Thames, as he would try and do later on, we don't know. Whether he was going to stab himself, whether he was going to do that New Year's Day or whether he planned to do that new year's eve we don't know either 
maybe that was part of the conversation. Maybe, maybe Charlotte was trying to convince him not to kill himself, or maybe he was upset about her having a boyfriend. Uh, or maybe, as people have stated, maybe he was upset that this boyfriend would take her away from him. Uh, don't forget, the next day on New Year's Day, she was going to travel to uh, Nottingham to be with David. So maybe that, maybe that was the thing that really upset him. Maybe, maybe he wanted to go and be with her on New Year's Day, but she was going to disappear off with her with her boyfriend. So we don't know. Uh, all we do know she, is that quarter past twelve, she went off to take a break. She went up to her bedroom. Uh, according to the pathologist, he said it was uh, likely that she was either asleep or resting when she was attacked. Uh, she was lying on the bed. She got all of her clothes on. It looked like she just was about to take just uh, as we all do. Do you know when you're a bit tired, you you go and have a little bit of a little bit of a, a, a shut eye. I made that mistake a couple of weeks ago when I was out with some friends. I was uh, hung over from the night before. I went upstairs to have a bit of a shut eye, and then I woke up in the morning and was like, "Ah, oh, shit." We've all done that, haven't we? Uh, 1am, the barman mentioned that she should have come down from her break, but they say, do you know, uh, the party's settling down, we've kind of got it covered, we don't need her, but Gary was like, don't worry, I'm going to go up and check that she's okay. On his way up, he went up to the first floor, right at the back was the little kitchen uh, of where all the food was made for the pub, because the pub served food. And this is the point where this, uh, the prosecution said that this was a significant degree of planning or premeditation. So it just shows, as they say, I think a lot of people seem to m- misconstrue the idea that premeditation means weeks in advance and that you're, you're, you're writing all of your cunning plans and you're going, oh, I'm going to murder this person using this and doing that. But it's not. Any any form of premeditation is if you go and find something that you're going to use to go and attack someone. That is premeditation. It can be it can be weeks. It could be seconds. Uh, it was a 25 centimeter kitchen knife, uh, which is uh, roughly around uh, 10 inches. Uh, and it was a carving knife as used in the kitchen. Um, as mentioned, she was lying on the bed. She wasn't moving at the time. There's no defensive wounds at all. She was stabbed right through the uh, right through the neck. So the single blade, a uh, uh, single stab wound right through the neck, severed her jugular vein, her windpipe, and possibly part of her spinal column as well. Hence, she was unable to move. Um, uh, a lot of blood. Head. She, hence, she bled out really fast. Um, uh, he had cut away, as they mentioned, part of her costume. Uh, it was uh, they don't exactly say what, but it was it was uh, uh, part of her genital areas that was exposed. It'd been interfered with, as they say, but um, uh, it had been her clothing had been interfered with, but she hadn't. Um, and the pathologist said there was no evidence of any sexual motive, which is kind of an interesting one there. So whether whether he had moved her or whether she was lying there and, you know, maybe she was partially exposed by the way she was lying there or maybe he had... I, we don't know. We don't know. That's something we don't know. Anyway, I'm going to dive into some more details about what happened afterwards. So 1.30am, Gary leaves the pub. He says he's uh, he appears calm and said he needs some fresh air. Uh, 3.15am he rings his mum from the phone box uh, near Embankment Tube Station and confessed that he had killed Charlotte 
Uh, his parents at the time were currently uh, living in uh, Lancashire, and he said, Mum, I've killed Charlotte. Um, right next to the phone box at the River Thames, so this is right next to uh, the main bridge, um, he waded into the Thames. Um, don't forget, it's winter. Uh, it's icy cold. The River Thames is incredibly silty. Uh, you can literally just walk into the Thames and then just go right under because it is just... It is meters and meters of mud under there. It's an incredibly silty river. Um, so he did that to try and kill himself. Uh, and then he re-rang his mother back later on and said, I, uh, I did not even have the guts to kill myself. Uh, he phones his mum. The call was transferred to officers of the Metropolitan Police who attended the pub and, learned, and launched a murder inquiry. Uh, let's just dive down. Uh, 4.30am, police arrive at the Barley Mow pub and discovered Charlotte's body. She was pronounced dead at the scene. Uh, and Gary at, was arrested at 4.40am uh, uh, on a street in Southwark. So that's south of the water. So I'm, at this point, not too sure... He can't have crossed the Thames because it's, it's too violent and it's too strong and... He wouldn't have been able to cross it. It's a, a really strong river. So he must have come out back this way on the north side and then crossed the river and gone over the other side. And we don't know why he did that. Um, 4.55 a.m. Gary was uh, arrives at Woolworth Police Station and is examined by a doctor who described him as orientated but not confused. Uh, at 10.10 a.m. He tells the police that he wants to tell them everything. He says, I was living with her. And that's why in many of the reports uh, it is suggested that he was her boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, but he wasn't. As always, the press get everything asked about Tick because they jump to conclusions. Uh, as mentioned, he gave a statement mostly about his mental health. He refused to give questions about what had gone on. A post-mortem was held that very afternoon. Uh, as, as is standard, an inquest was opened and adjourned to a later date. At uh, 7.15pm, Gary was interviewed for a second time. Uh, the police had got all the information they needed at that point, so at 1.12am, he was charged with murder. He appeared at Bow Street Magistrates Court, which is just off uh, Covent Garden, uh, where he was committed to appear at the Old Bailey on the 10th of January. He admitted manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility, but denied murder. Uh, at the magistrate's court, it was uh, adjourned. The case was adjourned till uh, the 21st of June uh, with a provisional trial date fixed for uh, 30th of September. Uh, uh, so uh, full trial was first till the 11th of October. Uh, it didn't go across all of those dates. Uh, the 11th was the sentencing date. Um what have we got here? Simon Den Denison, prosecuting, said many of the facts in the case were not in dispute, uh, but it is a matter of whether Horton acted with diminished responsibility. Um, his actions show he had an obsession with Charlotte that was both sexual and emotional. The thought of Charlotte going out with another man was too much for him. This is the prosecution saying this. Uh, he said that he was depressed at the time and claimed diminished responsibility. Uh, he was described as being his, his normal, rather miserable self at the time. The prosecution suggested jealousy uh, and said that he was dis dis ugh, displaying no clear symptoms of depression and that it was 
uh, only possible that he was suffering an abnormality of the mind at the time of the offence, and that if the jury, jury found jealousy was the true reason for his actions, that would eliminate the abnormality of the mind. Um, they called in a series of psychiatrists at this point, um, some for the defence, some for the prosecution, as is standard. Uh, many of them look, kind of looked at his back history about the fact that when he was at school, he was bullied, he had low self-esteem, he had depression, he had anxiety. Uh, he'd never really had any friends in his life. He was very much alone here. As far as we know, he'd never had a girlfriend. Um, maybe having Charlotte, this was the thing that they were focusing on, maybe having Charlotte as his friend. Uh, but also being a female friend, he kind of considered her his his girlfriend in a way even she, even though she wasn't so this is what kind of led to that and the fact that perhaps she was she felt uh, he felt that she was going to leave him that probably what is what led to this uh what else we got what else we got just going through all these all these details as mentioned he was convicted uh, by an 11 to 1 majority uh, sentencing judge Brian Barker told him this is a horrendous crime which has resulted in the senseless waste of a woman who had everything to look forward to you took the life of the most important person in the world to you a person you thought might be moving on the trial judge uh, Brian Johnson QC as mentioned uh, expressed the view that the minimum term uh, Gary should serve uh, to meet the requirements of retribution and deterrence was one of 11 years uh, he had taken a starting point of 12 years and, as he put it, on the basis of his suffering from some mental disability, I would reduce it slightly. The Lord Chief Justice uh, of the day did not consider the recommendation, nor has, he sec has the Secretary of State set a tariff period. So he was given a life sentence, but a minimum of 12 years. And then after that point, they will make a decision about that. Um did a bit of research as far as i know he's still inside uh so he went inside 2002 12 years would have been 2014 as far as i know he's still there um 19th of december 2016 at the royal courts of justice uh gary had his appeal uh, his case reached london's appeal court uh as his barrister unsuccessfully urged judges to grant permission to appeal his murder conviction citing fresh psychiatric evidence at trial his defense team presented psychiatric evidence suggesting he was affected by diminished responsibility diminished responsibility due to a history of depression the mental disorder had caused him to flip on the night of the killing uh uh, rejecting this application, Lady Justice Hallett said the fresh evidence concerned claims that he was misdiagnosed at the time of the trial, with recent psychiatric assessments suggesting he was prey to schizoid personality disorder. Uh, he said the question of Horton's mental instability was fully aired at uh, so she said the question of Horton's mental instability was fully aired at the trial, while the new evidence only served to provide a, a more serious medical label for his symptoms. Horton's conviction challenge was little more than experts shop, an expert's shopping expedition. Uh, she said in which experts had, canvassed, had been canvassed until a fresh diagnosis was secured for his conviction. Um, 
I, this happens with everything. Do you know, uh, whenever people bring up uh, details from uh, from court cases, they always go, "Oh, yeah, but there's a, there's a psychiatrist here, and the psychiatrist says this." But the thing is, that's that's what the jury, that's what the uh, prosecution and defence do. They go out, and they, you can speak to ten psychiatrists, and you'll get ten different diagnoses for the same person based on the same symptoms. Because it's not a hard, fast rules. And basically, the 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 defense or the prosecution will pick the one that best suits their case. They're not going to go, oh, well, this this we got this psychiatrist, he's the best in the business, but he disagrees with us. Why would they do that? It wouldn't make sense. You pick the one that serves the best purpose for your case. Same as when you're watching these documentaries on telly, and you you have a, a pathologist comes out and he goes, well, I it's it's definitely a murder, and these are the reasons why. Yeah, of course, because the documentary maker has gone out and found a pathologist who agrees with that opinion. But you could find 10 others who wouldn't. Same as uh, archaeologists. When you're watching an archaeologist on TV, at least they're honest about it. At least they go, we think this is this. We think this is that. And based on the evidence we have now and based on our opinion, this is what we believe. But they, they're honest about it and they say, but we could be wrong. But the problem is you get quite a few medical experts who are a little bit arrogant. And they believe they believe that what they what comes out of their big fat gobs is fact. Uh, but fortunately, as always, we can only we can only give we can only give evidence based on the information that we have and what's and what we believe at that point is accurate. We've seen this throughout all the cases that we've covered on Murder Mile. Not everything is a hard fast rule. You know, you can only you can only unless you actually have physical video footage of someone physically stabbing someone and then they give a confession and then they've got all their fingerprints on it. It's there, but uh, most most of these cases, it's based on best best guesses best guesses based on the evidence put before us um so uh, gary is currently serving a mandatory life sentence uh as mentioned uh, uh he can apply for parole at 12 years uh he will have no chance of being released before the spring of 2014 um uh, even if he is released by the parole board and they say that he's no longer a danger he will remain on life license subject to recall to prison should he put a foot wrong so he's on license for the rest of his life but again sadly we don't know where he is this case pretty much wasn't wasn't covered at all um unfortunately it was new year's new year's day there was a lot of people out there being utter bellends uh so uh, this unfortunately this news case was probably quashed by some crap in the papers that we really didn't need to know about so right let's do some answers to the questions <gasps> question number one what height was gary he was six foot eight inches tall which is roughly two meters you're welcome i did the conversions uh question two what white what white what height was gary he weighed uh, 20 stone, which is 280 pounds. Uh, question three. Uh, what was his full name? It was Gareth Richard Horton. Question four. Where did Scottish poet Robert Burns get most of the words to Old Lang Syne from? He got it from an old man he heard saying it or singing it 
whilst it was on his travels. Uh, apparently, it was an old uh, Scottish folk song. Uh, people knew it, but it had never been written down before. So even though people say uh, it is written by Robert Burns, it's not really written by Robert Burns. He heard it, uh, and then he, he put it down because it had never been written down before. But unfortunately, people attributed it to him because he was the first person to describe it. Uh, question five. What costume did Gary wear to the fancy dress party? Trick question. He didn't. Question six. Uh, what hotel did Gary stay at during his London stay? Oh, it was the County Hotel, uh, which is near... Uh, well, it's Upper Wim Wimborne Place, I believe, uh, which is near Tavistock Square, which is just up from where the uh, the bus bombing of the 7-7 the bombings were. Uh, question seven, which convicted sex pest was on the telly on the BBC on Christmas Day? It was Rolf Harris. You tell what is it? Ah, yes, Rolf Harris, convicted sex pest. Lovely. On our TVs on Christmas Day and painted a, a portrait of the Queen. Lovely. I wonder how many more pedos we've got to come out of the cupboard. Um... Question eight. What did Charlotte's mum do as a job? She was a practice nurse. Uh, question nine. What was the name of the street that Charlotte lived on with Gary? It was Wormsley Street. And question ten. Uh, where was the train heading which almost ran over Gary on the train track? It was heading to Rochdale. Good, that's that. Whoa, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, that was episode 156 of Murder Mile. Uh, we will be back next week. Two more episodes, it's a two-parter, and then I'm going to roll something out just before New Year's Eve. A little bit of fun for you. And then that ends the season of Murder Mile. It's been a, year, a long year. I was thinking earlier on, I was thinking, what did I start the year with? And it was the multi-parter on uh, Alice Gross. Oh dear, that feels like that was three years ago. Uh, anyway, that's that. Hope you enjoyed that. That was, uh, as mentioned, episode 156. Catch you all soon. Stay safe. Be good. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.